0: Well, greetings, church. Good morning. It's good to see every one of you. I'm so glad you're here. Uh, those of you joining join us online, I'm also glad you're here. Would you turn in your Bibles to Psalm 13 today? Psalm 13. Now, I have a story to kick this off with, and I think it's one that a lot of you will identify with. Uh, maybe not all the ins and outs of it, but you'll appreciate where I'm going with this. When I was younger... I raised my family pretty much on one vehicle because I overpurchased. I bought a big old Suburban with a 454 and it allowed me to get nine miles to the gallon. And that's why we only had one car. But I also discovered through trial and experiment that when you put a 17 foot Mad River canoe on top, you get 13 miles to the gallon. I don't know why, but we did. And so I thought, you know, let's take this little vehicle of ours on a road trip. And so we did something that most families don't get to do. We moved from Virginia to Alaska and we took 30 days to get there. Now, somewhere around Kentucky, I realized it might have been a mistake because every hour on the hour, my children would say, how much longer, Dad? (laughs) To top it off, some of you are familiar with the lovely singing group known around the world as VeggieTales. And we experienced death by VeggieTales for 30 days. I know some of my kids are listening online right now, and they would agree that the pirates who don't do anything get a little old by the time you get halfway across the country. But here's the deal. We eventually arrived, and along the way, my wife and I did experience our kids saying, how much longer, how much longer, how much longer? And that question gets a little old sometimes when you ask it. It's also very challenging when you can't answer it the way your kids want. And that leads us to our text today. But first, I wanna ask you guys a few questions. So follow along with me. Have you ever prayed, how long, Lord? Me too. Has there been a time in your heart and in your life when you've asked, where is God? I have. Where is God when I really need him? And why is it that God seems so far away? Why is it that when I pray, All I get is radio silence. And have you ever felt like God has forgotten you? I have. As a pastor, I hear from men and women who feel like God has turned his back on them. Some people feel this way, but few would ever say it out loud. And do you know why? Because they've been taught in the church that you're to always have victory in your Christian walk and never have any problems. Now, I'm not saying they were taught correctly, but let's acknowledge that many in the church have been taught that Christians are to always experience victory in their life and to never have troubles. And I believe due to this teaching, brothers and sisters keep silent for fear of being judged. Fear of thinking what other believers might think of them. Perhaps they will be looked down upon. Maybe others will question their salvation. So they soldier on each Sunday And when they come up the sidewalk and they're asked, how are you doing? They cheerfully say the same thing each and every week. Good. Even though they know deep down inside, it's not true. Now, I know by making a list of reasons why people feel this way, there's a good chance I'll exclude some of you where you're at today. So allow this short sampling to be just a reminder of people you can pray for and care for in the church. Some are hurting due to finances, others struggle with mental illness. Many continue to find no relief from physical pain and the limitations that that brings each and every day. Prayers are thrown up to the Lord for family and friends who don't know him, and prodigal children cause parents to weep each and every night, and they ask, how long, Lord? Likewise, many of us have prodigal parents, and we cry the same prayer. We have brothers and sisters who are brokenhearted in their marriage, And as I look around today, I see many couples that I've had the privilege to officiate their wedding. And it has been a joy. And in most ceremonies, I share a truth all married people know very well. And that is that love is blind, and marriage is an (laughs) eye-opener. It's funny. Sometimes those eye-opening experiences lead to prayers like, how long, Lord? (laughs) Then there are dear men and women present and listening who are widows. And loneliness is a crushing weight. Others are waiting for God to heal tremendous hurts from the past. Then there are those asking, how long, Lord, for the birth of a child or for the completion of an adoption? And then finally, a group that is near and dear to my heart and to my families, and that is those who have special needs children and adults. Do you get the picture? This is just a small sampling of people in our church that pray, How long, Lord? And if you find this simple prayer as one you identify with, know that you are in good company. I ran across some old sermon notes from Isaiah that Charles Spurgeon preached on. Listen to what he shared with his flock many years ago. Periodical tornadoes and hurricanes will sweep over the Christian. He will be subjected to as many trials in his spirit as trials in his flesh. This much I know. If it be not so with all of you, it is so with me. I have to speak today to myself, and whilst I shall be endeavoring to encourage those who are distressed and downhearted, I shall be preaching, I trust, to myself, for I need something which shall cheer my heart, and my soul is cast down within me. I feel as if I'd rather die than live. I need your prayers, I need God's Holy Spirit, and I felt that I could not preach today unless I should preach in such a way as to encourage you and to encourage myself in the good work and labor of the Lord Jesus Christ. If you've been walking with the Lord for some time, you know what he means. As you look around this congregation today, know there are days when every man and woman present feel as if their prayers go nowhere. There are also days when their Bibles seem blank and they hear nothing from God. This is why it is so good to hear from David himself that he experiences the same thing as us. Like David, when we are at our wits end, desperate and out of options, that is usually when God begins to work. Why? What I've learned and desire to share with each of you today is this. When we pray, how long, O Lord, what we are really saying is, God, you need to change the situation. Yet, what God is doing is changing us. We give our to-do list in prayer format and tell him to work on the problem. Patiently, God works on the person. One of the chief ways he does this is through prayer. As we explore this psalm, you're going to see a pattern that many psalms use. And first, you'll recognize there is a problem. And then that problem drives the person to prayer. Through prayer, a new perspective is gained, and then a new focus where praise is given to God. Our message is fittingly called, and I didn't have to work real hard for this, How Long, O Lord? Our text is Psalm 13, we're going to explore three simple points, and my prayer is that each of you will walk away with a biblical perspective on how to handle problems that this life will bring your way. Listen now and see if you don't resonate with this wonderful psalm, Psalm 13, starting in verse 1. How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I take counsel in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all the day? How long shall my enemy be exalted over me? Consider and answer me, O Lord my God. Light up my eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death. Lest my enemy say I have prevailed over him. Lest my foes rejoice because I am shaken, but I have trusted in your steadfast love. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. Let's pray, church. Father, your word is good, and we need to hear from you today. Father, help me to get out of the way and help me to speak what you've placed on my heart, to edify, to build up your church, to provide comfort, and to challenge those who follow you. And Father, I pray for every man, woman, boy, and girl that's here today and listening online, that if they don't know you, that today would be the day they would turn from their sin and place their faith and trust in you. Oh, Father, may you do a great work that only you can uh, take credit for today. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. So the very first point, if you're a note taker, is David's problem, verses one through two. David's problem. Look again at verses one through two. How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I take counsel in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all the day? How long shall my enemy be exalted over me? Now right away, we notice that David repeats the same question four times. How long? This is a perfectly good question, and David is not the only one in Scripture who asks it. Look at Revelation 6, verse 10. They cried out with a loud voice, O sovereign Lord, holy and true, how long before you will judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth? Even dear saints in heaven ask it. Before we look at the specifics of David's problem, let's remember that our feelings are fickle. If we're not careful, they will deceive us in believing things that are not true. I remember preaching a message at high school camp last summer from Elijah, 1 Kings 18 and 19. Elijah had an emotional roller coaster, and he got to see God perform miraculous things. And then, this is what I love about the Bible it's so true to life. The very next chapter, he's running from a woman who threatens him. One of you get it, right? It's funny, right? I mean, he sees fire come down from heaven. He sees God perform. And then a woman threatens him and says, by the end of the day, you will be dead. And then he runs for his life. And what does he do? He cried that he was the only one left who loved God. Was it true? No. Did God smite him for his outburst? No. Instead, God knew Elijah needed what many of us do in times of trouble. God gave him a snack and a nap. You'll have to look it up. That's the God we love. That's the God we serve. Even when at times we are not so lovely, He shows us love that we do not deserve. And let's also remember that God moves at a much different pace than most of us would like. Of course, We love that he is not quick to anger when it comes to our own failures. But when it comes to our problems, sometimes it feels like he's moving like frozen molasses. Like it or not, God doesn't seem to be in a hurry. Note three things about David's problem. The first one, he felt forgotten. David feels that God had forgotten him. And there's a good chance that some of you feel the same way today. Let me share some good news with you. God has not forgotten you. Let me tell you what he has forgotten according to Hebrews eight twelve, For I will be merciful toward their iniquities and I will remember their sins no more. That's good news. Folks, the experience of feeling abandonment is real and painful. Even more so when we feel we've been forgotten by God. I believe with all my heart that God is not offended by our honest questions or even complaints. Both confirm our love and desire for relationship with him. Realize this too. God can use your suffering to bring others to a saving knowledge of him. When people witness you're authentic with God, God can use that to reach them. I've said it before and I'll say it again. Sometimes our best witness can be in our worst circumstance. David also felt forsaken. Not only did he feel forgotten, but this lament from the text makes one believe that he thinks God has forsaken him. David feels that God has turned his back on him. Just like David, many of you might not sense God's face shining towards you today. Please know that just because it doesn't feel like it doesn't mean he's turned away from you. Now, the Bible makes it clear that if we are a child of God, we have a relationship forever. But we can live in such a sinful way that we sever the fellowship. Now, I know my son is listening online with little Riley and Avery and his wife and family down in Georgia And so I'll pick on him because he's got thick skin. But there were times when my son would sever the fellowship. And I set him down many times and let him know, you will always be my son. But there were times, especially as a teenage boy, when he thought he knew better than his dad and mom, and he would go his own way. At that point, the fellowship was severed. Do you realize, as a child of God today, you may be walking with the Lord and you're definitely his child forever and ever. But if you're living a sinful life, one that is not pleasing to God, you should not feel close to God because the fellowship is broken. And until you confess that sin and turn from it, you should expect heartache and trouble. As David cries out, we see that he's thinking that there's no end or no, no end of sight to the problem. And I have to ask, have you ever been there? this is the point where we go ahead and we all nod our head yes, right? Look around. Everybody has had problems where you didn't think they were going to go away. Enduring long problems can drain the life out of you and it is so difficult. Now by now, I bet a few of you are tired of hearing about David's problems and even reflecting upon your own. But I have some good news. God has not forgotten you. He's not forsaken you. And although you might still be in the problem, God is still at work. And you might say, Todd, nothing is happening. But I want you to consider this this morning. Maybe nothing is happening that you're seeing. Maybe nothing is happening that you're seeing. Romans eight twenty eight is familiar, but look at it with verse twenty nine for context, as a reminder of what we go through. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to His purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. God uses the trials of life to make us more like his son, Jesus Christ. If we're to give an honest review of our lives, we will recall we've grown the most when we've been in the darkest valleys. In January, I preached and shared about the mountains and the valleys, and that God is certainly the God of the mountains and the valleys in both situations. But I have climbed a lot of mountains, and I'm here to testify that nothing grows on top of those mountains. It's a beautiful view. There's wonderful experiences up there, but all the growth takes place in the valleys. Are the valleys hard? You bet. But that's where the growing takes place. And if you were to recall the events in your life, I bet most of you will realize that the greatest growth you've had has been in those darkest days. Another important consideration is to know that some people are prone to more negative views than others. This means when problems arrive, they can appear much bigger for these brothers and sisters. This is helpful to know, especially if you're among them. This is also useful information for those around you who love you. Sometimes people need professional help to combat such feelings, and there is no shame in this. The biggest mistake one can make is not getting any help at all. Let me share one more thing about feeling frustrated with not perceiving that God is present around you. Looking at my brother Keith out here. We've experienced this numerous times on mission trips and at camp. The teenagers, they get so excited. And you say, well, why do they get excited at camp? It's because they're reading God's word, they're praying God's word, they're sharing God's word, they're sharing and caring for others, they're worshiping, they're living out their faith. And then, Something interesting happens. While they're there, they tell us, I feel like I was made to do this. And we applaud that, and we're like, you were. And then they get home, and you see them moping around the youth group a couple months later. you're like, what's wrong? Like, I don't feel close to God. I don't feel like he's near me. And so we do our diagnostic questions, don't we, brother? Like, are you reading the Bible? Well, I'm too busy. Are you praying? Well, I'm too busy. When's the last time you told someone about Jesus? Well, it's kind of hard here. Are you worshiping? Well, you get the pattern, right? They stop doing all the things that God's designed them to do. Is it any wonder they don't feel close to God? And that's why they feel frustrated, and that's why they feel that he's not present. This leads us to our second point, and that's David's prayer. Look at verses 3 and 4 again. Consider and answer me, O Lord, my God. Light up my eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death, lest my enemies say I have prevailed over them, lest my foes rejoice because I am shaken. David's prayer is the turning point in this psalm. Thankfully, he doesn't leave us with the problem, but instead shows us the way out of the darkness and into the light. We don't know how long this problem existed for David, but it's fair to say these six verses are a condensed version of what he's been going through. Notice that he has three requests, and three reasons for them that we find from this passage. David's three requests are as follow. The word consider, answer me, and light up my eyes. Now consider is also translated look. This reminds me of our children and grandchildren. Sometimes, as adults, we can get busy. And sometimes we don't hear our children and grandchildren when they say, look at me, look at me, look at me. But thankfully, children are wired to be very persistent. Even if it means to grab you by the chin and turn your head and say, look. I love that about kids. This makes David's prayer all the bolder to me, but it also makes it all the more beautiful. Here we see a man praying with passion and understanding that his father is the king of the universe. David then gets specific with his request by giving reasons for them according to what he knows about God. One. He knows the Lord doesn't want the enemy to kill him, so he pleads with God so that he would act in such a way that he wouldn't sleep the sleep of death. And then two, he knows God's reputation is bound because he's already made a covenant with him and said he will be king one day. So he knows that he doesn't want the enemy to prevail over him. And then finally, David knows the Lord doesn't want the enemy to rejoice that David has been shaken. So David asked God to prevent that as well. Now, I will say, some of us have had professions where we know how to pray a little bit different than others. I pray that most of you have never been hunted by two-legged critters, let alone four or all the other slimy beasts on planet Earth. But I have, and I will tell you, it's a little disconcerting sometimes when something wants to eat you. I've been circled by sharks in the ocean, and I will tell you, it enhances your prayer life. The sharks don't care about your resume. They don't care that you're a big, bad Navy SEAL. They see a snack. So you pray differently. And it's important. And what's fascinating to me is that even in all these different stressful situations, God can provide peace that passes all understanding. I don't know how to explain it, but I have seen him show up so many times in so many big ways that I believe it with all my heart and soul. Consider Philippians 4, 6 and 7. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. The peace of God is a wonderful thing. But there is another verse that makes it possible, and it's important to understand it so that you can have this peace of God. Look at Romans 5, 1. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God Through our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, you've heard me share over and over that the Bible says God created us to be with him. And the Bible makes it very clear that our sin separates us from a holy God. We know that. We also know that our sins cannot be removed by good deeds. But here's something I want to focus on today. I want you to hear it. God knew this, and that's why he sent his son Jesus Christ to die in your place and to die in mine. And when we think about the pain and the problem that David's going through about being abandoned, think about the Lord Jesus Christ. On his darkest days, he was abandoned by three of his best friends. He left them a stone's throw away in the garden of Gethsemane to pray. They could not even stay awake for one hour when he prayed. Three different times he approached them and said, stay awake and pray for me. Pray. They could not do it. And then later, probably some of the most terrible words ever uttered about being abandoned happened on the cross. You know them when he looked up to the heavens and said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? This same Jesus came to die. He experienced abandonment and was forsaken by God for every man and woman, boy and girl, listening, and he stands ready to forgive your sins, to restore you, And the best news of all this gospel is that God didn't just leave him in the grave. He raised him from the dead. And everyone who places their faith and trust in him can have eternal life. And it can begin today. Now, if you're a believer, that's what we need to be busy about sharing, right? But if you're here today exploring Christianity, this is what I invite you to believe. I believe with all my heart and soul. It's the best news. It's the good news. It's the gospel. Now, David's problem did what it was designed to do. Namely, It drove him to prayer. Just like David, I hope every child of God knows today that God loves you too much to let you live independent from him. As your pastor, may I also lovingly caution you not to take matters into your own hands when you feel God is moving too slow in responding to your prayers. If you're not careful, you'll think you need to take things into your own hands. We don't have time to go over every example, but let me share one that I've seen play out numerous times. A single brother or sister desires to be married, and God has not delivered on their timetable. So they proceed by dating someone who's not a follower of Christ and end up with bigger problems than before. And as big as your problems appear to be, know that God is bigger. And it's always better to work and to wait on his perfect timing. James 4.8 encourages my heart on this. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. One more question before we move to our last point. How much time do you spend with the Lord? This is a question you should ask yourself. How much time do you spend with the Lord? And as you consider the problems that you're going through, do you go before the throne of God as much as the TV or other screens in your life? Might be a good test. May God challenge each of us to devote time in prayer and searching his word for his promises so that we can pray according to them last point david's perspective verses five and six but i have trusted in your steadfast love my heart shall rejoice in your salvation i will sing to the lord because he has dealt bountifully with me david's problems haven't changed but the lord changed his perspective This happened while David spent time in prayer, and God showed him his situation from his perspective. Now, I'd love to tell you that I think I'm a hopeless romantic. And Nancy and I are about to go on our third vacation in 36 years. So maybe I'm a little tardy on rolling out the red carpet for my bride. But the first one I would say I did pretty good. It took about 17 years for it to happen. But when we did, we got to experience a lot of fun things. And one of them that was very memorable for both of us was a hot air balloon ride. Think about it, this is Romance 101. A wicker basket, silk, and fire. What could go wrong? (laughs) I met her, I flew from Africa, she flew from Alaska. And we met in sunny San Diego that had a record cold snap of 20 degrees. You will also know, many of you, that my bride's not a morning girl. So to get her up at 4 a.m. was challenging. And we met that hot air balloon guy, and God bless him. He really loved hot air balloons, and he was geeking out on telling us everything about it. My girl was freezing, and she wanted to get it over with. But as we got up, he started telling us all those things, and then it became kind of like a Charlie Brown cartoon where he was doing this, and we didn't hear nothing. And at a certain altitude, I actually think I walked away with something spiritual from the whole thing. It was pretty cool. At a certain altitude, I realized as I looked down, I couldn't tell the difference between a house that was 1,000 square foot or 10,000 square foot. I couldn't tell the difference between a car that was $1,000 or $100,000. They all looked the same from a certain altitude. And then I thought, isn't it funny that we spend our whole lives worrying about these tiny little things? Perspective matters, it matters a great deal. And in David's case, it led to three responses once he had a new perspective. So let's look at them now briefly. David trusted in God's steadfast love. You might say David put a stake in the ground and said, no matter what, I trust the Lord. Now, steadfast love in Hebrew is not the warm and cuddly kind of love you might be thinking about. Instead, it means God's loyalty to his promises and commitment to his people. This is the kind of love that David put his trust in. The second thing he did is he rejoiced in God's salvation. David hasn't received physical deliverance yet, but his heart rejoices knowing his salvation is sure because his God can be trusted. Now, as I look around, I've had the privilege to sit with many of you in my office and in other places, and I know that many of you have gone through a great deal in your life. And I think many of you know my life, and you know I've gone through a few things too. And this is what I've learned we can take those thorns, those struggles and trials that we go through, and we can lament that they're stuck in us, or at some point we can recognize that it's there for a reason, and if we take that thorn out, I believe with all my heart, we can pin back the veil and see God even more clearly than before. Don't waste those thorns that God has given you. Allow them to let you see the Lord God more clearly and more beautiful. The apostle Paul knew about thorns and he also rejoiced in the same salvation that David desired. Consider Philippians 3.20. But our citizenship is in heaven and from it we await a savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. I hope every follower of Christ, Christ today hasn't gotten over the fact that you've been saved from your sins. You have eternal life. You have hope. This leads to David singing to the Lord. Even with the possibility of death at the door for David, he not only trusts and rejoices in God, but he sings to him. Why? The end of the verse six tells us. Because he has dealt bountifully with me. Psalm 13 has blessed my soul as I studied it this week. And I pray that it cared for yours as well. Let me close by giving you three simple applications to help you apply these truths to your own life. One, this is very simple. Talk to God. Tell him how you really feel. Believe it or not, he already knows. For some, it's helpful to write out their thoughts. And I would challenge you, consider having a gratitude journal. There's nothing like writing down things that you're grateful for. This is a beautiful thing to do in a marriage. It's also a beautiful thing to do when you consider how good God has been to you. For others, they need to talk it out while driving, running, or walking. But regardless, talk to God. Two, love on others. When we shift the focus off ourselves and look to the needs of others, it has a way of helping us deal with our own problems, too. By doing this, it keeps us from being isolated, and the Bible makes it very clear that the devil loves to isolate us and make us think we're the only people who are going through such terrible things. And then lastly, love on your local church. Now this may sound selfish, but it's good for you. Think about it, when we feel like God is far away, where better to go than God's house to worship with God's people? When we stand with our brothers and sisters in worship, we are in the community of faith, arm in arm, shoulder to shoulder, and we can encourage each other and cheer each other on. And what better thing to do each and every week than to stand beside your brothers and sisters and listen to those voices, raising, sing, praise songs to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. I remember a story that I wrote down years ago that really, I think, captures the importance of knowing that God's with you. So listen to this. Many years ago, I heard about a father who had buried his precious wife early in their marriage. They had one son. And the father decided that night that the little boy needed to sleep with daddy after the funeral. They were there in that dark room. The little boy there alongside his daddy. He wasn't used to sleeping with his dad, but the two of them were there. And the little fellow was sleeping where mama used to sleep. They lay there in the silence for a while. And the little boy said, Daddy, it's dark. I can't even see you, daddy. And daddy said, Yes, son, it's really dark. And then he said, Daddy? Is your face toward me? He said, it is. My son is face toward, my face is toward you, son. He said, that's good, Daddy. Good night. And he went to sleep. And after a little fellow went to sleep, the dad crawled out of his bed and got on his knees and said, Father, it's dark. It's very dark. Father, is your face toward me? And that man felt like God said, Child, my face is toward you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for showing us from your word today that we're not the only ones who have problems. We also thank you that we can come to you with those problems in prayer. As we pray, may you give each person listening your perspective on the problem, and may you give us a heart filled with praise for you. Father, you know how frail each of us are. As we press on in our daily battles, may you remind us of your wonderful promises from your word. And may we also receive the blessing from the book of Numbers. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and to be gracious to you. And may the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Father, we need you. May you hear us now as we sing praises to you. We ask all this in Jesus' name. And the church said... Amen, church.